Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Sunday, March 5th. It's been quite a day. We've really been focusing on the future, on the nature of communications, and on, of course, technology, the ubiquity of technology today. We, we've talked to, with an, uh, a Paris-based author, uh, Ashley Recanati, uh, the author of AI Battle Royale, about the way in which uh, AI is going to undermine most of our labor, particularly writers, journalists. Who knows if they can even survive? Then we talked to one of the few journalists, perhaps, who still has a job, Liz Hoffman. Uh, she used to work at the Wall Street Journal. She's just written a book called Crash Landing about the nature of the COVID crisis in economic terms. Uh, she works for a new news organization called Semaphore, which is focusing in a, in a most um, futuristic way on the transparency of news, on the global perspectives, and on the distillation of views. It's not the kind of language that is normally associated with newspapers. And then, uh, last but perhaps uh, least, we talked to Chris Shipley, the author of The Empathy Advantage, who explained to us that leaders, whether they're journalists or editors or corporate leaders, need to, to talk in the language of empathy. Um, finally, today, we are returning to the old world with my guest, uh, Lance Morrow, the noise of typewriters, remembering, journalists, uh, remembering journalism. It's his memoirs. Lance Morrow is one of America's most distinguished, celebrated journalists. Um, and he, I hope, won't talk about empathy or AI. He will talk instead about the noise of typewriters. In fact, uh, he isn't even on a computer. He's on his cell phone uh, because he lost his uh, internet connection somewhere upstate New York, and he's joining us. Uh, welcome, Lance, uh, for our audience. If there's a little bit of audio and video uh, uncertainty, you have to put up with it. Lance, um, congratulations on the new book. Tell me what the noise of typewriters sounds like. Well, newsroom, and uh, when I was uh, in newspapers or in, in magazines, had a different uh, setup, but yeah, the, the noise of typewriters, which had to do with newspapers, and it's a, a clattering. Uh, it's I try to describe it. It's it's a noisier business by far than than uh, computer keyboard. Each typewriter had a slightly different noise that it made. Uh, very distinctive clattering uh, uh, sound that I on, on uh, a news newspaper down in Sydney and I was, was down visiting his room and I was appalled to find that the uh, the newsroom sounded like an insurance so soft and hushed and muted in its in its atmosphere and newspapers a long time ago which is where I started before I went into magazines it was tremendous especially as you accelerated toward deadline 
and you had people who, you know, copy, and uh, the but the the type would be clattering to a crescendo right, right on the deadline, and so it was a very distinctive sound. It, it, it was. Uh, I remember uh, used to dictate toward the end of his life, dictated to a, a um, stenographer or a, or a, a typist, rather, uh, and accustomed to the sound of his own, own typewriter that when it broke, and he, uh, you know, in order to uh, uh, to continue, uh, very disconcerted, he missed the distinctive noise of his own typewriter is very interesting uh, machine uh, Lance the, um, one of the reviews of your, your memoir says that it's a portrait of the golden age of journalism but might we instead describe it as the golden acoustic of journalism why is the sound of the noise of typewriters so warming and so significant in terms of the news. McLuhan, of course, wrote about the medium as the message. Is the tactile nature, the traditional tactile nature of typewritten news, is in that sense the medium also the message? You're getting into a metaphysics that that is uh, the the there is certainly the fact that uh, uh, on paper and it was a machine, it was a purely mechanical thing. I couldn't stand electrical typewriters. I didn't like those at all. But um, it's, it is a very, uh, so to speak, metaphysics uh, from a computer which is is a different realm is it takes you it's it's uh, a remove or two from in uh in some, some sense that uh uh so the, the much more basic about about a typewriter uh, and uh well too much on the typewriters except in so far as they uh, suggest to me the borderline, the the the, uh, the and the, the age we are in now, and the coming of the of the laptops, the parsing of this business, the uh, typewriters like of the, the um, of the age of the old journalism, and the computers. Uh, with the, all the elections and all of that, become uh, uh, something to take us in. So, if you like, it is. It is certainly is in many ways a, a and and a and it is certainly a different way of do, doing things, of understanding the truth, approaching the tr truth uh, in small ways. Uh, the uh, the business of and so on is considerably altered by the coming of the internet, um, the instruments, uh, the uh, 
computers and, and all of that. So it, it is. Lance, it, it is um, I hope everyone who, who, who is um, listening or watching will have the opportunity uh, to read your new book, The Noise of Typewriters, but not everyone will be familiar with you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you came from a very distinguished family and you knew many of America's most distinguished, sometimes most nostor- notorious journalists. Uh, tell me an overview of your life. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to the last few years. Well, my, I, I grew up uh, when, they were, when they were younger. My father was a, a reporter for the uh, Philadelphia. He became an editor of the old Saturday Evening Post in the days when Magnum Post amounted to a, a, a very great deal of important influence. My syndicated columnist in Washington, um, I, Washington Star, which is long, long since extinct. Uh, uh, then I went to Time Man for many, many years, uh, for 40 years, and uh, and writing columns for the for the Wall Street Journal and for City Journal. So uh, I've been I've been around for an awfully long time. Is it, it a fulfilling? Like- uh, do you feel that uh, it, it it's been a fulfilling life, um, Lance? If you were to start all over again, would you choose to be a journalist? Was it worth it? Um, I, I, it's been a very lucky life for me me paid uh, to think, think and write and talk about things uh, uh, that were fascinating to me and, and it wasn't all uh, it was very lucky and I, I had I had time magazine at a very good point point in in the career of time magazine which is now one but um, I was able to uh, to write and to think and so on fascinated me. Would I become a journalist again? Uh, I think I was the, the family business, um, but it's been it's been terrific, um, and, and so I've I've enjoyed it a lot. And and, and uh, I think there are more books. I wish I had uh, uh, done done more in that that line, but I've. Um, uh, I, I probably, I probably would have become a journalist again. This is one of the things that I talk, talk about in my book. Journalism today is really is, is from, from what it was. And uh, what has happened, uh, um, Lance, in your view, to journalism today? Journalists used to be the most respected men, mostly men, but some women um, in America. You write about John Hersey, you write about Norman Mailer, Joan Didion, Henry Luce. Um, today, no one trusts journalists. Carl Bernstein, of course, uh, Walter Isaacson, who's been on this show before. You work with him at Time. He, in fact, introduced you to computer technology. Why are journalists now so much less trusted? Why do we look at them with skepticism? Why do many people actually hate journalists? Well, the politics, of course, has become um, and journalism has has gotten in far too much 
uh, advocacy, uh, journalists have become <clears throat> inclined and to uh, forget about, to abandon uh, activity. Everyone knows that perfect objectivity is impossible to achieve. I believe that journalists should always try for it. Uh, the, the, the thing that you're getting at uh, is the breakdown of authority hierarchies of um, journalistic organizations and a loss of confidence in the leadership and, and a, an inclination to uh, uh, the politics and, and that see this dramatically at places like the New York Times. Um, it's a it's a different world and a different politics. American politics, of course, is is, is become more intensely uh, fragmented. So have the media uh, in in the two the two work relationships. Um, the uh, um, media, the dynamics of careers and career in journalism have changed a great deal. So you have people actually be awarded for, for uh, um, outrageousness or inaccuracy or performance. It, if it if it becomes too much of a, then uh, you stop, stop doing journalism and and you're simply performing. And uh, Lance, uh, I, I take your points on everything changing, but on the other hand, some things haven't changed. Newspapers are still owned by very wealthy families. The headlines this week are about Rupert Murdoch agonizing over Trump's loss, um, telling lies. Uh, about whether or not he really lost. There's also headlines about Jeff Bezos planning perhaps to sell the Washington Post. Newspapers remain uh, the trophy wives of, of, of wealthy men like Rupert Murdoch and Jeff Bezos. Why, why do they still attract um, titans? I'm sorry. Why do they still attract, uh, you know, a Jeff Bezos who's worth many billions of dollars? Why would he waste his time buying the Washington Post? I would, I would think it's a, it's a, it has to do, with, it has to do with um, having a voice, having media presence. It seems to be an attractive idea to um, a, to have a. Um, a presence, a media presence. Um, I've seen that for a long time, but um, it they they find, however, I think that it's a difficult horse to ride, and they're out of control, and and uh, they might get a little bored with it after a while. Of course, yeah, they're like uh, yeah. I mean, certainly they get bored like uh, with their, their their spouses. Um, we talked a little bit about. Artificial intelligence. Emily Bell, who runs the Digital Journalism School at Columbia, has a news piece out on why ChatGPT, which is uh, the new rage in Silicon Valley, could be disastrous for truth in journalism. Are you fearful, Lance, of 
AI replacing smart machines, replacing journalism. A lot of people believe that uh, that 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 the algorithm can write stories of similar quality to most journalists. Is that conceivable in your mind? You bet. I'm I'm, I'm very, very worried. Uh, uh, it, it it's <clears throat> it's incalculable. Uh, Chat GPT means. Uh, or how how it's going to um, play out. I think it's extremely concerning, and uh, we'll have to see it. Uh, um, it it is very ominous, and I'm not as sanguine about it, and thinks that it's well. It's it's uh, everybody is wary of innovation, but it, eventually they get used to it. And it's, uh, I, I think it's going to profoundly change the whole business of, um, of inf gathering and news um, processing. And uh, I, I am very concerned. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but I think it's very. Well, um, Lance, we're having a few audio problems here. So let's end. Um... With your book, uh, you you tell a wonderful story. I'm not sure it's a wonderful story, a, a chilling story in some ways around this woman that I'd never heard of, Mary Anna Pinchot Meyer. Uh, you were a wrong, young reporter, and you didn't discover her body, but you saw her body. Tell me a little bit about this anecdote and what it tells us about remembering journalism and the noise of typewriters. Well, her name was Mary Pinchot. My, uh, she was murdered on the canal towpath in Georgetown in October of nine. I, I happened to be uh, covering police that, that day for a friend. But, uh, I was there with her body for about 15 minutes on the canal tow there before anybody else, essentially. And the, the cops had gone quite a distance to... Uh, hunt for the for the killer who was still at large nobody knew who she was at the time but it turned out that she had these extraordinary ex-husband cord meyer was very very high in the cia uh, uh, she had all sorts of relations with um, she was a brother and uh, rather a sister ben bradley who became legendary later in the watergate case uh, she was most extraordinarily. She was uh, John Kennedy's mistress, uh, and a lover, and uh, she was murdered there on the when they arrested and was acquitted. But her her death gave uh, any number of conspiracy theories. Uh, a lot of people adopted the theory by the CIA in order to shut her up about presumably nation but uh, it, it taught me it was a very vivid I, I devote a chapter to it in the book um, it, it taught me um, about conspiracy theories and, and about the also about the difficulty of really knowing the truth of something as 
as, as that particular murder. I I think, I think the guy murdered her, whom seen. Uh, it, it took a few hours, but they got him uh, down, down in the woods near the scene. I but if I'd been on the jury, I would have voted to acquit on the basis of never found the gun and and the eyewitnesses were too far away. But um, it was it, it, I, I was very young and, and it was an, it was, um, an encounter with uh, all kinds of the, the, the conspiracy theories and ideas of and how did, um, a story may become in as I uh, uh, if you talk about the internet and the the uh, the the story becomes more fantastic uh, processed by a conspiratorial in this electronic global electronic um, atmosphere very it was a very interesting strange episode of my, my youth which is included in, in the book actually finally let's just very briefly talk about john hershey um we did a show uh with um with leslie bloom who has a new book an excellent book book fallout the hiroshima cover-up and the reporter who revealed it to the world it's a book about hershey in in, in many ways it's always been uh, thought that his New Yorker piece on Hiroshima was a brilliant piece of journalism. You're a little bit more ambivalent. What, in your view, is the model for great journalism? What do you suggest in the noise of typewriters? Why, why are you a little hesitant on, on Hersey and Hershey? And for you, who is... Uh the the most distinguished American journalist of or at least who you worked with in the twentieth century. Well, I'm I'm a little skeptical of I, I admire uh Hersey's work and I admire Hersey. I never knew him, but uh I'm skeptical about him because while I I think it is is a is a fine piece of work on its own. Uh nevertheless I think he he left a lot out. Kind of, it's a bit of a setup. Um, I would I would take uh, it's 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 a very artful job that has an almost religious. Uh, if but but uh, he left a lot out, and and he left. Left a lot of perspectives out. The great Carl Bernstein is is a very close friend of mine, and and has been for six because we were kids together on the Washington Star. Uh, I've known a number of wonderful journalists uh, uh, over the years. Um, Carl is certainly the most of the bunch, but uh, there have been a there have been a lot from that. Uh, in, in the book about Mary McGrory, who, who was a great favorite of mine, and at the time, I, I I imagine that most of your audience does not know who he was. 
Well, I'll have to read your book. Uh, f f finally, finally, Lance, and this is a final because I know you've got to go and the, the technology here isn't so great. Are, are there any young journalists you still read these days? I mean, we, I assume you still read the newspaper. Are there, are there younger journalists who you, who you yeah, think, think maintain the tradition of, of the noise of typewriters, even if they're not physically using the typewriter? Oh, absolutely. I think there, there, uh, there are a lot of good journalists. In down in Sydney, is a terrific journalist. He's uh, the national political editor of the uh, Daily Telegraph down in in, in Sydney, and he, he does a couple of television. Uh, there are a lot, a lot of war correspondents who are doing distinguished work in um, uh, Dexter Filkins. He's, he's not. Mm. He's He's not a kid and great uh, war correspondent. So I think there's a lot of good journalism going idealized. I don't idealize the old, old journalism all that much. I mean, I write points and it had its great characters, a lot of whom I talk about. But sorry, I'd about the era that I came from. There were plenty of things wrong with the way journalism was done when <clears throat> when i was younger so i think there are plenty of journalism and, and great journalists now but the, the bit corrupted by uh, politics uh money by uh, uh a a race to for celebrity and and that kind of thing so that you find uh, good journalism uh, will sometimes uh, defer to uh, performance journalism and performance, especially, uh, you know, on, on this, that kind of thing. So uh, it's it's a different it, it's a different. Still, plenty of good stuff going on.